Today's scripture is taken from Hebrews 8 to 10. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant, of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and they turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. That was called the holy place. Behind the second garden was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had been budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on the ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This was an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the consciousness of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are that are now already there, he went through the greater and most perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. 
that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the false covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of cows together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear to us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once, to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves, but this reason can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who are drawn, those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. 
He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write, on, write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way open for us through the curtain, it is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty consciousness and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, hold uns let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who, was trampled, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? was treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you are publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who, who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to, to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I'm Don Keogh, president of the Coca-Cola Company. 
When we brought you the new taste of Coke, we knew that millions would prefer it, and millions do. And we knew that it would beat the taste of our major competitor, and it does. What we didn't know was how many thousands of you would phone and write asking us to bring back the classic taste of original Coca-Cola. Well, we read and we listened, and you know the rest. They're both yours, the new taste of Coke and Coca-Cola Classic. Your right of choice is back. <clears throat> well, before we start, uh, she did an amazing job of reading those three chapters, right? Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, I guess the world of Twitter, that felt a little long. <laughs> so I think that was a good, uh, good practice for all of us to be able to sit and listen. So that video was in response to a debacle by Coke in April 23rd of 1985, the Coca-Cola company decided to introduce a new flavor of Coke because they were losing ground and losing market share. So after 99 years of having this original Coke, the same formula, they brought about the new Coke. And people were outraged and started protests. Some got depressed. And one person in San Antonio drove over all over Texas, buying up all the old ones, and spent over $1,000 in 1985, that's a lot of money, for the old Coke. And due to so much pressure and negativity, they brought back the classic Coke. After only 79 days of introducing this new Coke, and hence this commercial. And this kind of love and appreciation of the classic taste, what Coca-Cola called the real thing, is how the people of Hebrews viewed the Old Testament laws and the, and the Levitical practices. It wasn't something that people were ready to throw out. It was not only their religion, but it was also part of their culture. It was part of who they were as Jewish people. It's like telling a Korean to stop eating kimchi or to stop watching uh, Korean drama. And so under persecution, which the audience of Hebrews were facing, it was very easy for them to fall back to what they know, what they already knew. So the preacher of Hebrews here contrasts the old covenant with the new, not because the old covenant was bad or wrong, but rather because the new covenant fulfills and brings to completion what the old covenant was only pointing towards. The old covenant was the real thing, but the new covenant was even better than the real thing. This is the kind of comparison that the preacher of Hebrews is making here. He wants his hearers to understand that in Jesus, the law, the prophets, the priests, the nation of Israel are fulfilled and become even better than the real thing. Jesus is even better than the real thing because he is the one through whom all things become more real or his true self. For the last few months, we have been going through the book of Hebrews, and I wanted to give us a quick overview and reminder of what we've talked about so that we can see how this section of Hebrews continues that argument that the preacher is making. So in chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. He's greater than the angels who gave the law. 
God's one and only Son, Jesus is the true human being who, attended, who, t- who attained sovereignty over creation, which God intended for the whole human race. In chapters 3 and 4, we look at how we are not to harden our hearts, but to hold firmly to faith and hope as there is a better Sabbath rest that is offered to us. In chapters 5 through 8, Jesus is the true high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We are to hold on to Jesus as he holds on to us. We are called to mature and warned, warned from falling away. We can draw near to God because he loves us and our salvation depends on him. And chapters 8 to 10, which was read today, Jesus provides us with a new covenant, a more real priest, a more real worship and forgiveness, and a more real sacrifice and offering. And in chapters 8 to 10, the preacher points us to a new covenant that was promised by quoting Jeremiah. As we've seen in this letter to the Hebrews, that the preacher quotes from the Old Testament often because that was their Bible. And this quote from Jeremiah is the longest passage of Old Testament that he quotes in this uh, letter or in this sermon. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 12. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and the, or in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Here the preacher quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, to talk about this new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah spoke about over 600 years ago. One interesting fact is that this passage from Jeremiah is the only time in the Old Testament when there is any mention of this new covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a sacred kinship bond between two parties that is agreed on by an oath. Kind of like a marriage. The old covenant here is the covenant made between God and the people of Israel and Moses where God freed Israel from Egypt and gave them the Ten Commandments. Covenants covenants back then had a few distinguishing features or formulas, kind of like a legal document. And one of those features is the curses and blessings that would be part of such a contract. If you break the agreement between the two parties, there will be consequences or curses. But if you kept the agreement, there'd be blessings. And we know that throughout the history of Israel, they would continue to disobey God and turn to other gods and abandon their one true God. They would eventually get to the place of Jeremiah where the kingdom of Israel is split to two between Judah and Israel and were under the power of other nations. One of Jeremiah's main concern in his ministry was the covenant. He talked about the old covenant a lot and how the people of Israel had broke it and were disobeying God. 
And because of this, here we see Jeremiah looking forward to a day where there would be this new covenant. So what the preacher of Hebrews does is here to point his hearers to the new, uh, new covenant promised by God over 600 years ago, being fulfilled in the person of Jesus as the true high priest and king. He quotes the Jeremiah passage and then spends the next few chapters of Hebrews 8 to 10 explaining how this new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah is better than the old covenant by comparing it to the new covenant. And here's a slide that I found online that I found to be helpful. So here the priesthood, which is Levitical, which was by the, uh, had the line of the Levites, is the old covenant. And in the new covenant is through the line of Melchizedek. The high priest, uh, such as Aaron and, and those who followed afterwards, is in the old, old covenant. And in the new covenant, the high priest is Jesus in the Old Covenant, the tenure of the high priests was limited by their life, and, and when they died, it was over. But in Jesus, in the New Covenant, is forever. In the Old Covenant, the kind of sacrifice that was made was by the blood of bulls and goats. And in the New Covenant, is by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Covenant, the location of the sacrifice was an, was an earthly tabernacle, which was just a shadow or, or a mere um, copy of, of the real sanctuary or tabernacle where God resides, which is the heavenly sanctuary. In the Old Covenant, the frequency of sacrifices was continual, whereas in the New Covenant, covenant it was just once. In the Old Covenant, the effect was that there it would just be an annual reminder of our sins and how sinful we are. And in the New Covenant, it would be Permanent, it would be a permanent forgiveness of sins. In the Old Covenant, the purpose was for ceremonial cleanliness. It was an outward sign of, of, of an inward work. In the New Covenant, it would be a cleansed conscience and a new heart. Jesus is like, the, like, like Melchizedek, who is both king and high priest. He is the high priest forever, and his sacrifice not of animals, but by his own body and blood, gives us access to the heavenly temple. Unlike the Israelites who would be reminded annually of their sins, this sacrifice will be once and for all, giving us a permanent forgiveness of sins, and therefore cleansed a cleansed conscience and a new heart, where being God's people would be as natural as breathing air. So let's look at this new covenant again. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Instead of the laws on stone tablets, it will be written in our hearts. It will be part of who we are. It will not be an outward attempt to do good or to appease our consciousness or conscience. We will be good because that is who we are. We will reflect the characteristics of God in whose image we are made in. And as Jesus, the true human and God, makes us into our authentic selves. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Moses, priests, prophets will no longer be needed, needed because they will all know God not just the religious elite, not just for the priests or the prophets, not just for pastors or Bible college professors, 
not just for elders or deacons, but from the least and the youngest to the greatest, will all have access to God because Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Unlike the old sacrificial system that, not, that did not cleanse their conscience as they had to continually sacrifice animals, Jesus entered into the heavenly tabernacle by his own blood, died for us once for all, for a new covenant where our sins will be remembered no more. This ushering in of the new covenant will go beyond the forgiveness and the managing of sins to that of a new life as free people of God, where people will serve the living God not because we feel obligated or, to rather, or because we are trying to earn our way into God's forgiveness, but because it will be a natural reflection as the children of God. And I love the way Gene explained the Old Testament sacrificial system last week. He talked about it as not a way to manage our, our, our sins, but rather as a way for us to draw nearer to God. The original intent of the law was to draw us closer to God and was therefore fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And in the new covenant, we do not need to worry about our sins anymore because we will be forgiven and God will not remember our sins no more. The people of Hebrews were persecuted for their faith to the point that they stopped meeting together. Much like the Israelites who wanted to go back to the slavery of Egypt when things were getting hard, it was much easier for those who were being persecuted to fall back to what they already knew. The old covenant feels more comfortable and safe. Like, I know what I have to do. But to go back is to be satisfied with the moon. Sure, the full moon can be bright, and, but the moon in itself does not actually give us light. It only reflects the light. The moon may let us see in part and can guide us in the dark, yet the moon only reveals in part and lets us see mere shadows. It is only when we have the sun when we are in the light that we are able to truly see. In the same way, the old covenant is like the moon. It only reflects the sun, but is only a shadow of the real thing. It reflects the new covenant that is fulfilled by the Son of God, but is not the source of the light. This new covenant of God, where God will put the laws into our hearts, where we can live freely, unburdened by our sins, not having to worry about whether or not God is mad at us or looking to punish us. This new covenant where all people can know God, that is the new covenant that Jesus has ushered in by his life, death, and resurrection. And yet, like Israel, we, we rather go back to something we can control, something that we already know. It feels easier to go back to slavery where we know what's next than to go into the unknown as the free people of God. It's easier to manage my sin than to trust in the grace of God. It's easier to go back or even replace God with false gods and counterfeits that we can control. I mean, what would it really be like if we believed in this new covenant of God? What, what if we really believe that we are forgiven? 
and God does not remember our sins anymore? What if we saw ourselves as forgiven sons and daughters of God than as wicked sinners? What if we trusted in the goodness of God and embraced what God says to us about how we are? Then maybe we can live as people whose focus moves beyond ourselves and our religiosity to that of people living free as, uh, and following God. Living free for God and living free for the world. Can it be that we can live as truly forgiven people, free from comparing ourselves with others, free from projecting our own guilt and shame onto others, free to live as people that are more than just about holding on to our past? One of the main reasons that, again, Coca-Cola company created the new Coke was because they were losing market share because the new Coke tasted better. In their research, they found that more people liked the taste of the new Coke than the old. Yet when people were told that they had to let go of their, their Coke, of what they knew and what they were comfortable with, people held on as if their lives depended on it. And in 2002, after 17 years of having this new Coke, the new Coke was discontinued and the old Coke stayed. I believe in the same way, we tend to turn back to the old covenant instead of the new. We like the classic taste, what we know, what we're comfortable with, than to venture out into this new territory. Maybe we prefer living by the moonlight. It's not as bright, but it's also less revealing. Maybe we prefer living in the shadows with the uh, shadows. The sun with all of his brilliance is, is too bright for us. It's like those people who may have been caught living in, in caves that come out for the very first time and are blinded by the sun and would rather go back into their dark, dark cave. We ourselves do the same thing. Yet Jesus, the light of the world, is inviting us to this new covenant where we are welcome to live as the children of light. As mentioned, the people of Hebrews were being persecuted, and so they stopped meeting together. It's understandable. They were facing life and death. To go to church was to face death, so they stayed home. Now, I know for the past few years with COVID, we were also locked up in our homes and had to be creative in how we worship together. However, we are starting to live our lives in this post-COVID world. What does it mean for us to be the people of God in this post-COVID world? I believe that we are called to meet physically as embodied people of God, to worship one, uh, God together in person. Yes, virtual can be easier, and it fills the gap when we can't meet together. And for some of us who have health reasons, it might be the only way we can meet together. But for the rest of us, if possible, I believe that we are called to be the people of God together in this space. And so we want to encourage you, come, be with us. Let us not replace meeting together physically with a virtual one. Jesus is the real thing. In fact, he is better than the real thing. And I believe that when we are in relationship with Jesus, everything else becomes more real. It's not that we're called to give up everything and to have these dreary, boring lives, but rather everything becomes more real as we are in relationship with Jesus. 
Yes, it may mean sometimes avoiding things. Yes, it may mean that we say no. But we are only saying no for, and saying yes to better things. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates our response to this Jesus, this Jesus who is even better than the real things. He says, so friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as you see the big day approaching. What would it look like if we were to live as people of this new covenant? Does our church reflect and promote this new covenant, or does it still propagate the old? I believe that we are called to be a people who live out this new covenant in faith. So let's do it. Spring Garden, full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. We are presentable to God inside and out because of what Jesus did for us. We can trust God because he always keeps his word. And let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. So let's do it together. Let's pray. Jesus, you are even better than the real thing. And yet, we are creatures of habit. We sometimes want to hang on to the old. And we're afraid and sometimes scared that you really haven't forgiven us. But Jesus, help us to trust you. Jesus, help us to know that you love us. Give us faith when we lack it to believe that you have forgiven us completely. That you don't remember our sins anymore. That you are the one that has ushered in this new covenant where we can live freely as the people of God. So give us faith. And we hope in you, in your goodness, trusting that your grace covers all of our sins. And now we can live free as your people, as your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.